Welcome to the Net and Sarah Show, where we aim to touch, move, and inspire you every single week. Really? We're really going to introduce our own show? Maybe we should leave it to the pro. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay. One second, ladies. Here we go. Sarah Maxwell and Natalie Cook are experts in visualization and deliberate use of the law of attraction. As dynamic world athletes representing Canada and Australia in beach volleyball, they honed in on achievement at the highest level. With Natalie winning an Olympic gold medal on her home beach of Bondi is a pinnacle example. Their powerful techniques transmute the spiritual to the tangible, allowing thousands of their community members to bring their vision boards to life. Recently, they have returned from their full-time family adventure in Europe and are now grounding down in Australia where they are focused on all of you. How can your dream become reality this decade, perhaps even this year? Not only do Nat and Sarah bring us their three-step manifestation process complete with downloading worksheets, but also their realities of failed attempts and some of the frustrations that color their path. They believe that this life journey was never intended to be jolt-free, but rather a powerful trip down the raging rapids of life. Each week, the Nat and Sarah Show will navigate the epic lives of their mentors to uncover how they use their own manifestation process to produce dreams that are available to us all. Are you a member of the community? Go to bit.ly slash the Nat and Sarah Show to download your three-step journal to follow along with each workshop-style teaching episode and get ready to take action on your inspirations. Today, we continue the conversation with an Australian serial entrepreneur, best known for co-founding the startup Tomando, where he layered a level of technical intelligence over the entire fulfillment process of goods. It became one of the biggest technology companies in Australia, raising 56 million in funding and establishing five major global offices, which was recently sold to a 1.5 billion revenue French listed company. In many ways, he is living every startup's dream, and yet I'm sure we will hear about the hurdles he had to jump to make it a success. Carl Hartman has since co-founded Shortlister as a response to the recruitment challenge he faced in growing his own tech business so quickly. Most recently, he is the co-founder of Liar Spirit Co., which has recreated the major alcoholic beverages in non-alcoholic form. Liar has... Liar has quickly become one of the fastest growing new customer consumer products in the world. Midas Touch is what I keep thinking. Winning multiple awards like the IBM Global Entrepreneur of the Year Australia and being an adjunct professor of entrepreneurship and innovation, we clearly can learn a lot about taking an idea and creating it into a living, breathing entity into the world. So Carol, thank you so much for taking some time to share your journey with us. We're so curious about you. Oh, thanks for having me. Woo-hoo. So look, to be truthful, I'm getting the visions of Steve Jobs in his garage with his mates coding and geeking out when I think about your startup life. Is this how it all began for you? Oh, look, I think for me, it probably goes back even further. Um, You know, there's a constant debate with entrepreneurialism. Is it nature versus nurture? I'd say in my personal case, it's probably a bit of both. Um, You know, even if I go back to some of my earliest memories as a kid, um, you know, both my my parents had a series of businesses across their careers. Um, 
you know, I don't think my dad ever <laughs> actually had a, uh, uh, a job where he was employed by someone. He was always the, I guess, the master of his own destiny. And in fact, um, I remember growing up in Brisbane um, at the time when I was born, dad, amongst many of his ventures, had a fireplace business. And uh, the showroom for this was literally out, out to the front of our house on Manly Road. And um, I remember this story my mum told me once where people would come into the showroom and no one was around, but I was playing in there and people were asking about fireplaces. And I was like, well, you put the wood in here and then the smoke comes out here and it heats this one, but this one's nicer because it's shinier. And, you know, I'm like, I think two or two and a half and already starting to hustle. So, um, (laughs) and then my dad had come into the showroom and like, yep, we've already sold, uh, your son sold us this one. And then, um, you know, we, uh, as a, uh, when I was in primary school age, I I grew up in, um, um, Maribara and, uh, dad went through a, a sea change and wanted to have a houseboat, houseboat business. And I think I remember, you know, um, primary school age, um, I would do anything for, uh, any, any odd job, um, you know, for a fee. So whether it was cleaning a boat or a car or house chores and, you know, I'd get $5 for this and $10 for that. And, uh, I'd always save up for whatever I wanted. And, um, I remember I was the first person in the town to get a super Nintendo. And, uh, you know, that, that was like power in primary school. Cause it's like, Hey, if you're not nice to me, you can't come to my house and play super Nintendo. <laughs> but, um, you know, you start to think about these experiences and, um, definitely one of the first things I learned in life was, uh, you know, if I work hard, I could have anything kind I want and um, setting a goal and then doing whatever I need to uh, achieving it. So, you know, if a Super Nintendo was $200 and uh, my average job was $5, well then, you know, I knew exactly how many jobs I had to do to get what I wanted. (laughs) So um, I definitely think that's something I got from my parents, which was a, uh, you know, a good work ethic and um, the ability to, I guess, just set myself goals and achieve. Do you remember thinking, I get that you had the Super Nintendo <laughs> that you could sort of like bribe people with. And yet, was there like a bigger vision? Did you, you know, a lot of kids when you're growing up, people say, what do you want to be when you grow up? What did you used to say to that question? <laughs> yeah, I, I think at the time, um, you, you know, you, you probably don't understand the context of it all. I, I would always say I want to be the leader of the world. And uh, people would ask why. And I'm like, because there's so many things I would do different. <laughs> but, um, okay. you know, I, I think um, if I, you know, you think about the amount of work that would go into that job, um, you got to think about work-life balance as well. But, um, yeah, no, it, it was always something, um, something along those lines. <laughs> okay, so what did you want to change? What was it about the world that you wanted to be different? Uh, look, I remember just, you know, um, I I read a lot as a kid and then you'd read about, I love reading about other countries and then, you know, you start to learn about things about, you know, um, I remember at the time when I was a little kid, that's when um, Africa was having these big famines and just the the thought of people not having food, it was just, it did my head in. I was like, but what do you mean? We have food. Why can't they have enough food? So, and it was, I would always ask the question of why. So like, I think one of the basic thoughts I had is like, well, I think I always thought that there has to be enough resources and I still think to this to this day that there is enough resources that the world can create. They're just mismanaged and they often don't get to the right places through all sorts of points of economy, uh, like of um, inefficiency. Mm-hmm. But, um, but yeah, even as a kid, I was like, it just didn't make sense because, you know, growing up, particularly in a small town where you see, you know, like farming and abundance and uh, you, you, you scratch your head saying, why if we have surplus and uh like why can't that surplus be given to someone that has nothing so that i guess that was one of my first thoughts (laughs) and did you talk to anybody about it 
Do you uh, used to talk about I, this with your dad? Uh, yeah, and <laughs> yep, yeah, definitely spoke with both parents, and uh, and um, my, my dad was quite political, and uh, um, yeah, I, I think um, you know later on when I did my degrees, I did um, business with marketing, and I did arts with um, uh, psychology and political science, like interpolation. Okay. So uh, yeah, definitely all the things that I got exposure to, I ended up studying later on. So you know, it goes back to that nature nurture conversation, but um, I can't I can't uh, stop to think that if I had different experiences as a kid I probably would have gone different path I truly believe though that we are on this like collision course might be the wrong wording but it's like with our own destiny I feel that the reason I always ask about us as a kid and I, you know we both have young kids yep. yours even younger than mine 19 month old for you it's like for me the purity lie there you know, and I, I love how we were just chatting before we pressed the go button about the purity of your little one. It's like, for me, I feel like you're always on a collision course with that ultimate desire or dream that you originally had. And it's just, it kind of like gets realized in a, in a very interesting way. So let's see what happens. Cause I, I'm hearing you. I heard what you wanted. Um, so hundred yeah, percent. And I love that saying is like, show me the boy at seven and I'll show you the man at 70. Cause they often say that, um, so much of who you are as a person is set as a kid. And hence why those, okay. those first formative years, it is so important, um, you know, for child psychology and, uh, you know, we get so much of our mental scheme is set before we're 10. So, um, yeah, I, I like, I think at the same, in the same breath, you can choose your own destiny and you're never too old to start a company or, or do something different. But um, a lot of the way we act as a person um, uh, and our personality is set, um, you know, in those formative years. So uh, it, it's, I think that this nature nurture debate will probably never get settled, but um, you know, definitely from my experience, um, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's interesting to, um, you know, to watch it all firsthand now. <laughs> yeah, I get it. Cause I, my background is biopsychology and I am totally fascinated with watching it live in my own house as well. Yeah. And, and I want to talk about this, um, this capacity of, that you have to bring an idea to life. So I'm getting the distinction, even through hearing what you did at university, that no, you weren't necessarily coming at it from the coding point of view, geeking out. However, you did see a problem and there was an idea that you had for Tamando. Like, tell me about the original idea and how you, was it boldness to actually keep carrying the idea forward or was it craziness? What would you say it was? Like, give yes. me a little journey, I'll, I'll, map me through a little. Sure. So I'll, I'll unpack a couple of those, those points there. So I think when I, um, I went through a few different arcs. So like, you know, you mentioned what I, when I was a little kid, I was like, yeah, leader of the world. Then later on, I was like, I wanted to do medicine. Then I realized how much uh, work and study went into becoming a doctor. And I was like, yeah, that's definitely not for me. Um, when I, I went to university, I was super organized. I was like, okay, I started off and I said, I'm going to do business with marketing because you're always selling something in life. And then I actually started off doing science and um, I, I started, I did one year of computer science and then I realized I wasn't the sort of personality to sit in a, in a lab and cut code, but I learned just enough to be uh, to understand things like architecture and how to talk to developers. And that still was a very useful um, uh, thing. But um, I ended up shifting into psychology and international relations because I figured, you know, 
everything you do in life is interacting with people. So the more you can understanding them. And I truly believe the future um, of commerce is a borderless world. So the more that we understand um, international relations and politics, it's such a big part of, uh, um, of where business is going, right? Mm -hmm. So you think of what's the impact on globalization over the last few years. Um, to get to the Tomando arc, so my uh, university job was working at JB Hi-Fi. And oh. if you remember, you know, we're talking 20 years ago now uh, when plasma TVs were all the rage and everyone was getting rid of their old CTVs, um, you know, for the flat screens and they were like $10,000. Um, JB had just taken on cash from Macquarie, was going on this massive growth uh, rain um, spurt, opening up new uh, stores everywhere, uh, selling really aggressively um, um, on, um, on price. And it was all about gaining market share. Um, and what would happen is because they were so aggressive on prices, people would come into the stores and um, they would actually, um, you know, ask, um, you know, how much to get it shipped. And what I was just amazed about was, um, you know, that it was no real easy way to predict the cost of shipping. So sometimes, you know, we would look at a little piece of paper on the back of uh, in a store and it would say, this is how much you should charge. And nine times out of 10, it was wrong. Mm, interesting. So, yeah. So I think from there, what happened was, um, you know, really, uh, it was just something that was in the back of my head and I didn't take any action at the time. Um, you know, after uni, my first uh, corporate job, if you like, was, um, um, was working for News Corp and I ended up because I came from retail was um, then looking after the retail portfolio. Uh, I then after News Corp went to Fairfax uh, and was one of the early employees of Domain which is obviously now a you know a multi-billion dollar listed um, entity in itself and I think Domain was it was obviously uh, it was second mover to realestate.com. Um, definitely learned a lot about bringing something to market as a as a digital product. But I couldn't still stop thinking about this um, problem with shipping, and I was just amazed that no one anywhere in the world had had a crack at um, solving it. So what I did was um, I you know you start to think all right, well if, if I've got a vision for it and I can architect it, need someone to build it. So I tapped in, um, you know, I guess the smartest IT person I know, uh, I knew, which was, uh, uh, he was the, at the time, um, the head of software engineering at, um, at Virgin, what was then Virgin Blue, which is now Virgin Australia. Um, and then um, an, another person I had met through my job at News Corp, who had come from the transportation industry and brought the domain expertise. And then ultimately, you know, you've got, I guess, a commercial person, a technical person, and then someone with the, the deep category knowledge. And then, you know, you sort of start to put onto paper what you want to achieve. And then we just had a crack. Um, and that was, that I'm was. I'm just going to interrupt for one second because there's something really interesting about this moment. Just backed up slightly because I feel that there's a lot of people out there listening that have identified a problem. So you had that, that thing triggering in you from your job at JB Hi-Fi about the shipping. What allowed you, because you said to yourself, I can't believe nobody out there has solved this. I've had that thought before about things. But I, one of the things that I do to stop myself from moving the idea forward is surely someone else is going to do it. This is like the biggest stopper that comment that I just made. So what allowed you to go, oh, let me assemble a team of people that I could begin to, you know, literally start putting this on paper. What lets you move from 
why has nobody solved this to, I'm going to have a go at it. I'm going to go, I'm going to go solve that. Yeah. So, um, I, I always believe in something which is shoulda, coulda, woulda, didn't as in, you know, ideas are really cheap and, um, you know, like the amount of times, in fact, every, every project I've done now, um, they're like, Oh, what a great idea. Such a, that's like such and such, or my friend had this idea. It's like, you know, like anyone can start a company. You can go online. It costs you like a couple hundred bucks, um, fill out a form and off you go. Execution is everything. So, just because you think someone else might have the same idea doesn't mean that they can execute it. Um, so when you start to think about how do you execute something, it's you start with a big audacious vision and you, you know, that, that should be as big as and bold as, as possible. And then you've got to work backwards. And often the first thing you need to do is, uh, and this is leadership 101 is creating a shared vision. Um, entrepreneurship is categorically a team sport. Uh, you know, it may take some one person to start sometimes more, but it takes an absolute team to finish. So, um, you know, when you look at most venture funds, very rarely will they back, um, a single founder. Um, they, they typically want to see at least two founders, you know, normally one commercial, one technical, if it's a software startup, um, you know, there's definitely a limit, you know, um, I see you have four founders above, um, you know, there's a lot of research that shows that eventually that implodes. Um, so, you know, um, getting the, the balance right is, uh, is very important, but, um, ultimately that's because everyone's got different strengths and weaknesses and, um, you kind of either want to, uh, have a, a starting lineup that, um, is pretty well-rounded and then you want to start to hire for where you've got deficits. And a classic example is, um, you know, um, it, the first, when you first start a company, you'll wear different hats. You'll be the, the CMO, the CFO, you'll be, um, you know, uh, the HR director, and then you, sh you do everything. Um, now it doesn't mean you should, um, you know, just because you can do the, all the finances doesn't mean that you're the most efficient at that. And, um, you might get a part-time CFO and they'll do the same amount of, uh, um, of output in a fraction of the time. Um, right. so, you know, ultimately you want to start to unlayer these hats and, um, and give them to people so that your time that comes back to you is, um, is dollar productive. Um, if that'll make sense. Yeah, totally. Uh, do you find that the first kind of sell that you really had to do was to your two partners that were coming along? Like, is that the first people oh, yeah. that you really have to hundred percent. Okay. I think we, we were fortunate that we had all come to the same conclusion ourselves. So it was okay. less of a sell. Got um, it. But, you know, cer certainly, um, you know, if I look um, my most recent experience with liars, like um, Mark, my co-founder there, um, he was working on these, uh, um, um, on these liquids, you know, for two years in his uh, previous business as sort of like a, an R and D skunk works project, uh, with a sort of the view to pitch this to the big booze company saying, Hey, this non-alcoholic, um, you know, thing is going to be a trend. Uh, it's going to be a major trend. And if you guys don't get on board, um, you know, you, you're going to be, you're going to miss the party. And, um, ultimately I remember having a sip of these and I was just blown away as just on how close it was to, uh, the real thing. And, um, my personal journey is in peak tomando days, I was traveling 230 days a year. I put on a ton of weight just from constant free booze on planes more than anything. And, uh, and then, you know, you get off a plane and you're doing networking and then you jet lag. So you don't go to the gym. Um, and then, you know, like I remember thinking, just saying, I've just 
I've just got to get my fitness back. And um, then all of a sudden you drop the booze for a while and you you just shred it, right? Like it's amazing that I think I read something the other day that the average Australian gets something like 40% of their discretionary calories from alcohol, but non-alcoholic, you know, options, beers, wine, spirits. Um, But, you know, if you think about it, um, you know, particularly if you're a high performing business person, the last thing you actually, you know, particularly want to start to feel degraded performance because, you know, you're hungover and it's, it's, uh, or, you know, you you start to feel that, that, um, that impact on your health if um, you are consuming alcohol every day. And, you know, certainly these days, I mean, you know, I, don't really drink at all midweek. Um, I drink socially with, uh, um, you know, um, with networking and uh, and things like that. But um, you know, more of a time and place versus an everyday thing. Um, you know, now and even with the travel, it's become a lot easier having you know more of these options on hand. And certainly, when you start to think of this, um, you know, liars and what's been the, the main explosion of growth, it's it's a lot of people think, oh, is it the, the different religious backgrounds that don't drink? I'm like, there's certainly a segment, um, but no, it's 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 people just really mindful of health and wellness, um, right. you know, and um, yeah, and that that's having an impact um, of, of for certain. Um, of course, you know, there's um, there there are segments that um, you know breastfeeding women, pregnant women, uh, people from religious backgrounds. And uh, certainly we've been at some conferences in, say, London, where we've had some, um, you know, Muslim folks come up to us and said, you know, this has changed our life because we can now go for an after work drink and have a gin and tonic that tastes exactly like the same thing and not feel sort of ostracized and not being wow. part of the tribe. And I think that's probably one of the, they've been the key differences with Liars is a lot of the non-alcoholic spirit brands have been created by people that don't drink. So they're off doing adjacent flavors. Whereas with Liars, um, it's been created by people that love alcohol. Um, you know, we love the flavors. We love cocktails. And yes. we've tried to, as a brand to be as close to the original as is possible through science. Um, you know, everything from um, smell, taste, mouthfeel, palate weight, uh, you know, it's um, took a lot of time. So I think in, in, in rounding out, when Mark was saying, what do you think about this idea? I was like, you know, like I had reached the same conclusion saying, I just wish this, there was a product that existed everywhere where, you know, if it's my fourth day of travel, um, you know, I just want to have a, a non-alcoholic option, but still be social. <laughs> so when you and Mark are out there, um, I'm getting that the low calorie option uh, aspect is something that you both, you know, being able to tell that story and, and market it that way is pretty vital. What has you still in this game, traveling with him, doing the things that need to be done in order for this to be such a, a successful startup? Why not just retire into the sunset with your 19 month old that we, <laughs> that we hear in the background and just, you know, play on the beach all day? Why do you still do it? Yeah, well, great question. So I think once I um once I ex- so I exited Tomando back in 2017. Um, I had maybe three months sort of uh, uh, of sort of gardening leave where I just you know I, I had sort of a, a passive involvement in shortlister and a few other things, but. To be honest, I got bored. Um, I'm definitely someone that was has is built for doing something, and so I jokingly say I, I tried an early retirement. And it was very unsuccessful because it's um, probably the first point. You know, I, I probably define my identity a lot about the things I do. 
Um, and, uh, you know, I, I need that reason for being every day to get up and just focus on something. And um, I'd say probably for the first time in my life, I was depressed. I've never been depressed. I was like, I need, I need things to, to drive me. So kind of post-exit, I joined a number of boards. Uh, one was uh, one called Hurricane, which is an AI cross-border um, intelligence platform out of the UK. Uh, I was, you know, early investor in that and, um, and joined the board. And that kind of kept me in the logistics game, which I had obviously had a lot of knowledge and contacts in. Um, then the thing that was my biggest challenge with growing Tomando was people, um, mm -hmm. whether it was finding people, keeping people, you know, mo like developing people, everything came to talent. And what amazed me is as I spoke to fellow CEOs, um, every single person uh, outside of being funded and capital, it was talent. It's just like, you, you know, you, you get together with um, in various different support groups, um, such as, you know, Aussie Founders Network as a, as a great example. Uh, you know, others might join things like YPO. Um, that's, uh, after raising capital, that's all people want to talk about. I was like, wow. Again, it was like my Tomando uh, spark all over again. I'm like, why is no one solving it? There's all these big clunky data systems um, that exist in HR tech, but nothing that actually has any degree of intelligence of saying, here's who I, I should hire and here's who I should invest in with development. And here's what this person needs to know because their job's going to be obsolete in three years. And, uh, you know, there's, there's interesting examples where you've got people like bank tellers that become obsolete, but they've got highly analytical skills and you can give them a bit of training and turn them into cybersecurity people. Um, you know, sure. there's, you know, we've talked about this with uh, your partner, Nat, um, obviously, uh, you know, Olympic athletes, they've got so many different um, psychometric markers as entrepreneurs. They're driven, they're goal-driven, um, they can commit to something. Um, and um, uh, there's similarities in special forces, um, uh, you know, um, commandos, same sort of thing. They've got the same types of um, driven personalities. Um, I know one who's um, ex-Black Ops uh, did an MBA and is now a CEO. So a uh, mm. bit nondescript on LinkedIn about, <laughs> you know, the last 10 years, um, you know, government relations or something like that. But um, um, hey, ho! but um, it goes to show you that uh, we're, we're sometimes just one skill away uh, for being great at something different. And um, it, it's often our personalities that, um, and, uh, you know, I'm fortunate enough to have um, Andrew Banks as an advisor and an investor in, in the, um, both liars and shortlist are actually and um, you know had many learn a lot from him and um, certainly one of the things he says a lot is and uh, it's you know talking about repeatable miracles and often you know when we think about hiring we're so quick to hire someone for their resume but we fire because they don't fit our culture because you get them in the job and you're like a week into it like oh this is not going to work um, whereas if you think about that in context what we should really do is hire for people that we know are great and we train them with whatever they need to know to be the best they can be within our organization. Um, because so, so much um, these days is learning as we go. So I do believe um, that tertiary education is important. Um, so, you know, you've got lots of entrepreneurs that say, oh, you know, you can drop out of uni and still be great. I think uni gives you 
some base life skills um, that are very transferable for your career. Um, the ability to write 5,000 words based on basically on anything. Um, you know, you struggle to do that if you haven't had to complete a degree writing, you know, papers on stuff that you really don't care about in a lot of cases. <laughs> um, but, you know, you become a lot more polished on things like email, your communication, um, you know, mindful of, uh, of how you interact with others. There's so much stuff that does carry through and just, mm -hmm. For me, it says that you can start something and finish it. Um, do I think you necessarily have to run off to do an MBA or a PhD? Look, if that's your calling, go for it. But I don't think that's essential these days. Um, I like to think I'd probably have an MBA of life <laughs> by this stage of my career. Um, you know, um, But look, if, if I hadn't been fortunate to have so many experiences, I probably would. You know, I think it, I, I have seen examples where um, my, my black ops friend that, that did an MBA became a CEO. Um, you know, I know former sports stars that have done the same thing. And, mm -hmm. you know, one's now, you know, um, you know, chairman of one of the sports authorities. So you can see how that can upskill someone that hasn't had that same exposure over their career um, and how useful that can be. Absolutely. And I love that because I really get what Shortlist is about and, and how integral it is um, for everyone, even the person applying for, for the work as well, being able to, to have real -time their feedback. Realistic yeah, it's previews. Really, yeah, yeah. It's really cool. And you said something, you said the word repeatable miracles, yeah. <laughs> uh, which was really great. Um, I wrote it come, down. And I'll come back to that. So, so okay, back to, to Andrew Banks's point is, um, you know, so many organizations, um, they might have a superstar and it might be they have this person in sales that sells 10 times more than anybody else, or they might have the world's best project manager. And we often hear that people go, you know, it would be great if we could have another, another Sarah or another Nat or another Mark or another Carl. And it's like, well, what if you could, what if you could actually run them through, you know, a piece of intelligence that could tell you what is it that makes that person special? Then you can contrast that against, you know, um, your other top performers to see is there similarities within your company culture? And then contrast that against your bottom 10% to say, what are the common attributes of people that don't work in your organization? Because every organization has its own DNA now. And just because you're amazing somewhere, doesn't mean you're not going to, like you, you may not be a fit at all somewhere else. And some of the best examples I can give you is, you know, I remember when I was setting up our San Francisco office with Fatamanda, I had this recruiter, they brought me this candidate and they're like, oh, this person's amazing. He worked for Google and, you know, big commerce and blah, blah, blah. And like every name drop under the sun. And I knew who the person was. I'm like, they will not be a fit for us. Um, you know, and often what it is, is if you have worked for some of these larger companies, um, you know, you, you, you actually become quite compartmentalized in terms yeah. of what you do. So you end up working on one thing. And in a startup, you know, like I was saying at the start, you've got to wear a lot of different hats. You've got to be very flexible. And, um, you know, I've seen big people that have come from, say, big logistics companies or some of the big, big tech companies like IBM. They go to a startup and they fail because they're just not suited. They don't know how to execute without having a, an entire team behind them. Uh, and often in the early days, you need to be the entire team. Um, so, so who's um, suited then? So we get who isn't. Who is, what's the suitability then factor for someone at the beginning of a startup when you're hiring? Uh, so I, I think if, if we could talk specifically about startups, it's about finding the deficits in, in your overall team. So if you're doing a map of the who you need in a team, so mm -hmm. let's say you're really, you're not very strong with financials or commercials, you're going to need someone to, to bring that. So 
I think it's more about skills and, and, and kind of, you know, if you look at all the different roles you need to have an effective team, it's probably just filling that out. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then it's probably making sure that you've got um, a common culture and, a def- uh, and I think that really starts with a defined vision. Um, mm. So if you're like, this is the reason we all get up, um, that starts to bind everyone together. Then you understand the mission is of, of how you contribute to that vision. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then what starts to develop is, you know, what, what are the, what's the purposes and values that we all share? And, um, and I think the more you have alignment in a team, um, the more effective that team is. Absolutely. It's funny because the way that my brain took on repeatable miracles was y- you and what you've done in startup is, is representative of repeatable miracle. Um, and then it made me think, you know, being a sporty one, think about Roger Federer. So in some, yep. on some levels you're going, wow, this is a repeatable miracle over and over and over again. So as I, I'm just carrying you through my brain for a moment, my brain went Carl Federer. And my question then became, so Carl, what is it that you're currently working on within yourself to, to win that next championship, to actually really excite yourself, do something. Look, what I'm, I guess what I'm really driving at is the little boy who wanted to change the world. I feel he has not left the building. So (laughs) I'm curious what it is today that's really in you that wants to make a difference. Yeah. Well, I think, um, uh, I think of two things. So, um, after sort of, you know, you know, the, the Randy Zuckerberg quote, which talks about, you know, on your entrepreneur, you know, on, on your entrepreneurial journey, you've got a choice between, uh, family, uh, spending time with friends, looking after your health, building a great business. Um, and it's like, you get to pick, you only get to pick three. So, you know, some things are going to have to sacrifice. I think in my first entrepreneurial arc, I definitely sacrificed health and uh, definitely sacrificed family. Like I didn't spend a lot of time with my family because I was constantly traveling. Uh, a lot more mindful of that now, particularly having a kid. <laughs> um, I, I've become super mindful of health. Like, um, you know, just probably the fittest I've been since my early, early twenties. Um, combination of one investing in a Swedish electric uh, jet board company. Uh, and, um, you know, finding, uh, I've always loved my water sports. I, I, I wakeboarded all through uni and um, uh, I took up kiteboarding not too long ago, but you know, one of the challenges is, you know, for wakeboarding, I need uh, three people and, and um, to, be, to be near the boat. For kiteboarding, I need great wind. Um, being able to take myself skiing, has, I think is, you know, is such a cool concept. Um, and I think that sort of has, you know, you start to get, you know, uh, active every day. And then you, it's funny how your brain starts to, uh, you know, adapt. But um, so yeah, something, something I'm mindful on. But I think the two core things I'm, I'm definitely most passionate. One is I've seen the difference of building good teams can make. And if I can help with uh, a piece of software that I remember saying to myself, I just wish there was something that could you know, tell me who to hire and who to fire. And again, I was amazed that didn't exist. So I think that can actually help all companies become more prosperous. Okay. Uh, and there's, you know, the GDP impacts if we get that right. Um, certainly when I, when I think of countries like Australia, we have a war for skilled talent. Um, and uh, we literally just do not have enough skilled people to fill all the jobs we have. Um, this is a combination of not teaching the right things through ed- our education system and having too tight of skilled migration. 
um, both of those problems can be solved. And uh, I think, you know, there's lots of positive things that um, current policy is moving towards it, but it's still not enough. Um, mm. And we do need to transition to, um, you know, uh, a skill-based economy. You know, we need to take big action in terms of uh, moving away from fossil fuels. We should be the world leader in renewables and green and clean tech. I mean, all this stuff, we, you know, we have every building block to become great at, and it amazes me that it hasn't been a, a conversation until, you know, all the fires started a few months ago. So I think on one hand, it's that. Yeah. And my health arc probably has, you know, um, on the liar's journey, sure. uh, definitely, I think there's an opportunity to change that the way the world drinks. And, uh, you know, it would be quite uh, funny because, um, you know, both Mark and I love to drink that, uh, you know, if all of a sudden this becomes, and, you know, it's, it's well on track in its first year to becoming the, um, both the largest by volume and the largest by number of countries, um, you know, all of a sudden, a couple of booze loving Australians, <laughs> you know, change the way the world drinks. Yeah, I was going to say the irony, <laughs> the irony is beautiful. I mean, you know, there's about a million other things I, I'm curious about, but I, what I do want to do is give people that snippet of what's possible. You represent repeatable miracles and its possibility. And I know the story ain't over yet. Um, and I totally get what you're saying about what you're prioritizing now, what's important to you. Yeah. Okay. And, I keep reminding myself I'm still mid thirties. Like, um, yeah. you, you know, <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, one of my things I say a lot is, um, you know, with the privilege of success is the obligation to pay it forward. And I'm fortunate being a post um, exit founder that, you know, now I get to work with people I like um, on projects that I find interesting, yeah. um, you know, helping them realize their potential and, you know, probably more of a co-pilot role than um, one at the driver's seat. Um, and, uh, but, you know, I, I, I'd agree with you. I think that there's probably, you know, 30, 40, I love what I do. And I think there's probably 30, 40 years of doing deals and growing companies and, uh, you know, having fun, most importantly, you're like, you've got to really like, just, you know, nothing is better than working with friends and people you enjoy working with. And, uh, I think, um, I talk about in some of my university lectures about a, a Japanese concept called, um, Ikigai. Uh, are you familiar with this? Yeah. Word? Yeah. yeah. Tell everyone. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. 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 So, and I, I'm, I'm yet to find something that, um, I think sums it up in terms of, you know, what is your reason for being? And often when you think about it, um, so, you know, for those listening that don't know the concept, it's, uh, it's a Japanese word that basically translates to, uh, um, uh, so Japanese as a language to go back a step has these words that are, mean really complex things. So this particular word basically translates to the intersection of what you're good at, what you love, what the world needs and what you can get paid for. And, you know, often you've got people that are in a job, they're good at it, they can get paid for it, but they're empty, right? They, they don't have a mission. It doesn't get them out of bed. And often it's like they've become an accountant because their parent was an accountant and, you know, they have a good living, but it's, you know, does the world need another one? Um, is it truly what they love? Um, you know, you see the, the, the flip side of this where, you know, as an artist, they can paint, um, they're good at it but they may not be discovered yet. So they're not making any money. So I think if you, if you can fortunate enough to, to find this intersection, everything just seems to click and things seem to work. Um, you know, the business you're working on can become successful. You're very, very happy. You're fulfilled. And cause you enjoy what you do, you become, and you're good at it. Like, 
you know, um, you know, you excel in whatever you're doing. So, you know, certainly going back to how does someone start, I think try to find that intersection mm. and um, then build a big vision around it. Love that. Oh, that's the best way to end. Thank you. So, no, it truly, because that's, that's the beginning. And then this is, um, you know, a formula for repeatable miracles, really. Um, so thank you very much. I really appreciate your time today. Yeah, no worries. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for listening to the show. Don't forget to join the community at bit.ly slash the Nat and Sarah show to download your three-step journal and participate in weekly lives found only in our private group. Hold on, hold on, hold on. You've got to rate and review the show. And I know all the podcasts are always asking this. And in the past, I wasn't doing it. And the reason I wasn't doing it is because I actually didn't know how to do it. So open your podcast player and click on our show from your library, not the listen now. That's where I was going wrong in the past. So now that you know how to do it, when you go there, make sure you give us a five-star review. Five stars, five stars, five stars. And then click on write a review link to actually write a review so that you can tell other people that we're legit and even funny, maybe a bit serious. So if you want to recommend this to someone, you have to put your fingers on the keys and send us a review. Thanks.